0: This is episode one twenty six of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review and a deep dive into the Airbus global settlement for four billion dollars for FCPA bribery and anti and ITAR violations. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Before we get started, two points. First, uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Leave a review. Uh, give the podcast hopefully a five-star rating. Uh, We're here to serve other compliance professionals and try to share information. So the more that it's uh, listened to, the better. Uh, Second, uh, today's episode is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke.
1: Today's podcast episode of Corruption Crime and Compliance is sponsored by Bureau Van Dyke, a Moody's analytics company. With information on more than 360 million companies, Bureau Van Dyke is the resource for company data, and they make it simple to compare companies internationally. Their flagship product, Orbis, is used to find, analyze, and compare companies worldwide for better decision-making and increased efficiency. Bureau Van Dyke recently announced its new Compliance Catalyst, which is a data-driven decision engine and risk management platform. Powered by Orbis, new Compliance Catalyst is a game-changer because nothing else combines data, technology, and people power into a single platform. Compliance Catalyst can streamline your KYC, AML, and anti-corruption research and make your client onboarding and customer due diligence process more reliable and efficient. Compliance Catalyst offers several unique advantages including an integrated platform that combines your data, Entity data from Bureau Van Dyke and flexible due diligence screening, automated and enhanced. Instant risk preview and screening against watch lists and adverse media in seconds. Customized dashboard, risk profiles and thresholds, screening and monitoring settings. As part of the Compliance Catalyst platform, several effective modules are provided, including AI-powered adverse media searches and reviews, shareholder power analyses, entity verification and resolution, and integrated enhanced due diligence services. If interested in a demo of the new Compliance Catalyst platform, please contact Bureau Van Dyke at Americas at VDinfo.com or call 1-212-797-3550.
0: Well, in a blockbuster case, uh, the Justice Department announced a global settlement with Airbus, uh, manufacturer of civil, uh, civilian and military a- a aircraft, uh, Boeing's principal competitor. Uh, and it seems like both uh, airline, air manufacturing companies, or uh, aircraft manufacturing companies are in trouble. Uh, in this one, Airbus, uh, in a Really huge case agreed to pay over $4 billion, and I always say yes with a B with a billion, uh, to resolve charges with the United States, France, and the United Kingdom for its role in a bribery scheme, and at the same time, comprehensive uh, settlement for violation of ITAR, International Trade in Arms Regulations. Uh, under the agreement with the United States, Uh, Airbus entered into a deferred prosecution agreement. Uh, The filing of a criminal information then was lodged in the court, uh, charging Airbus with a conspiracy to violate the anti-bribery provision of the FCPA and conspiracy to violate uh, ITAR. Under the settlement, Airbus agreed to pay the United States approximately $582 million uh, for the FCPA and ITAR violations. So approximately, and the way it broke out, was approximately uh, 294 million for FCPA violations, 232 for ITAR violations with a forfeiture of a $50 million euro bond uh, added to the 232 million. Uh, the Justice Department credited a portion of Airbus's payment to the Parquet National Financier for France, PNF, which totaled approximately $2.29 billion as part of a separate settlement with the PNF for bribery violations. And Airbus also entered into a DPQ, Deferred Prosecution Agreement, which was approved by the court in the UK serious fraud office for bribes paid in Malaysia, Sri Lanka, Taiwan, Indonesia, and China and they agreed to pay approximately $1.09 billion. The PNF and SFO jointly investigated Airbus's global bribery scheme, uh, which started in 2008, continued to 2015, uh, where Airbus engaged in a scheme to pay bribes to decision makers and influencers, including foreign officials, uh, to get business contracts for purchases of civilian and military airplanes, as well as helicopters. The Justice Department's case, however, just focused uh, primarily uh, on the corrupt schemes in China, whereas the SFO uh, uh, addressed bribery in other countries as well. Uh, Airbus is based in France. Uh, It has uh, really no physical presence within the United States, um, but they obviously get supplies from here. And it turns out the jurisdictional hook that the Justice Department relied upon was uh, emails that were sent uh, in connection with these schemes from the United States location servers and interestingly um, that's their basis for assertion of jurisdiction and I and I have a feeling that that's why China ended up being sort of the focus because there were certain emails sent uh, in connection from the China scheme uh, while people were Airbus people were present here or people who work for Airbus were were uh, present here and facilitated uh, the scheme from the United States. Um, so the email communications ended up being the hook and still look, they, the United States still collected $584 million uh, here. Um, there also was uh, luxury travel arrangements here with foreign officials in the United States, which gave them another hook. Uh, there was uh, uh, luxury travel to Hawaii. Airbus's ITAR violations uh, occurred during the period between December 2011 and December 2016. Um, they filed numerous applications for export of defense articles and defense services to foreign armed forces. So uh, they, had, they bought certain products here or they supplied certain products here uh, and needed licenses in connection with, let's say, sending something to a factory in Europe which would then be used to manufacture a plane, which was then uh, resold. So they needed uh, licenses here uh, for purposes of those exports of defense articles and services. Um, But Airbus uh, failed to provide information um, and report information concerning political contributions, fees, or commissions paid to third-party brokers in the sale of defense articles and defense services. And they failed to make sure that their brokers people involved in the transactions were registered uh, and secured proper brokerage licenses from uh, the state department so looking at doj's corporate enforcement uh, factors uh, for the fcpa violations airbus did not receive credit for voluntary disclosure because the sfo actually initiated the case in response to a uk whistleblower who provided information to the sfo about the bribery scheme Um, Airbus did receive credit for full cooperation with the prosecution and law enforcement. They received credit for its remediation effort, including separation and disciplinary measures taken against individuals who were involved in the misconduct. They terminated all their third parties uh, who were engaged in misconduct. They built and applied a new uh, enhanced due diligence uh, program, provided additional compliance training, And then made other enhancements to internal controls and its compliance program. Uh, Based on the Airbus settlement with PNF and its agreement to oversight by PNF authorities, uh, since it's a French company, uh, and Airbus's agreement to submit regular compliance reports, uh, DOJ decided not to appoint an independent monitor. And this is consistent with other uh, sort of global multi-jurisdictional resolutions where uh, foreign company, foreign country may uh, assert supervisory responsibility over the company. The department is rarely uh, going to put in a monitor in those situations. Um, for the ITAR violations, uh, Airbus received credit for voluntarily disclosing the conduct. Uh, this came up during the time that they were investigating and res- uh, uh, looking at the um, uh, FCPA violations. They were awarded full credit for cooperation and they implemented a number of remedial measures to its compliance uh, program. So in light of all these factors, DOJ uh, awarded Airbus a 25% discount from the bottom of the sentencing fine range. So uh, had they voluntarily disclosed, uh, uh, I think they would have gotten obviously a much better settlement, uh, probably a 50% discount. Okay, let's go now and talk about a little bit about some of the schemes and the illegal conduct here. Um, and uh, Airbus, let's start first with bribery. Um, and I always, uh, Airbus had three broad divisions one, a commercial division, obviously for commercial aircraft, defense and space division, and uh, helicopters division. Um, the bribery scheme involved, uh, focused here, as I mentioned earlier, on China. And three uh, Chinese government entities, call them GE 1, 2, and 3, not General Electric, but uh, government entities, and three consultants. Consultant 1 was an agent who received payments from Airbus during 2013 to 2015 uh, that were intended for bribes uh, of officials at GE 1, 2, and 3. So consultant 1 was the one who paid the bribes. Consultant 2, a former Airbus employee who worked as an agent for Airbus from 2007 to 15, and uh, sort of was in touch with uh, key Airbus executives. Uh, Consultant 2 introduced introduced Airbus to Consultant 1, and Consultant 3 was an agent of Airbus and assisted Airbus with concealing payments to Consultant 1. But it was mainly 2 and 1 who were the primary actors here. Uh, interestingly, just like um, in the, the Brazil case of Autobresh, where you had like an entity within the organization that was responsible for bribery, uh, Airbus created an internal organization, strategy and marketing organization called the SMO. And between 2008 and 15, SMO managed all international third party relationships involving commercial aircraft and had review and approval authority for all uh, third parties in the Defense and Space Division and Helicopters Division. SMO's International Division managed Airbus's international business development strategy and marketing activities, and then third parties were actually formally reviewed and approved by a different organization, but nonetheless managed by the SMO, and that was Airbus's company development and selection committee. So between 2008 and 2015, the bribery scheme uh, not only paid foreign officials, but paid other commercial parties in order to secure additional aircraft sales contracts. Uh, Airbus engaged these third parties to facilitate and disguise bribery payments through the seven-year period. Um, And they made payments through business partner bank accounts and disguised payments. And this is a key issue that I wanted to highlight in the form of loans that were never repaid. Another way to get money to people is call it a loan and just say, hey, you don't have to pay me back. The business partners received payments and would keep a portion as payment for services that were falsely described in contracts uh, and invoices. Airbus Executive 3 managed and directed a significant portion of the bribery schemes and maintained it and here we go again with a detailed spreadsheet listing the actual and intended recipient of bribery payments just like SBM offshore where the CEO kept a spreadsheet here we go again with Airbus uh, and the executive keeping a spreadsheet listing the actual and intended recipient of bribery payments uh, I have to say that's a great piece of evidence and why people keep these records uh, you got me They just figure they'll never get caught, but it's just uh, a great piece of evidence for the government. Airbus executives relied on the SMO to carry out specific bribery needs and schemes. Uh, The SMO disguised and concealed the true purpose of engaging third parties uh, by creating fake and fraudulent contracts, um, receiving fake and fraudulent invoices, fake activity reports, and then developing fraudulent special projects, in quotes, Uh, that's always a key word to look at, as a mechanism to fund bribery payments. Uh, They also used oral agreements and using non-reimbursable loans, like I mentioned. Uh, When the scheme was exposed, Airbus disbanded the SMO. What a surprise, the criminal organization was uh, taken apart. Uh, Airbus engaged uh, in the bribery scheme in China, like I said, to secure larger orders of aircraft. Um, the proffer goes through uh, a lot of detailed emails, and they're really great emails to read in terms of the pressure that the consultant was saying, look, we're not going to get anything. Consultant one was saying, we're not going to get anything until uh, these payments are made. That was not explicit, but they used <clears throat> every type of code phrase that they could try, and it was just blatantly obvious what was going on. Um Like I said, Airbus uh, was dealing with three different entities, GE 1, 2, and 3. GE 1 was responsible for Chinese infrastructure, including the aviation industry. GE 2 was the government agency that supervised the uh, aviation industry and ran it. And GE 3 was responsible for the negotiation and entering into agreements with aviation companies once they got approval from GE1 and then a specific direction from GE2. Between 2013 to 2015, two Airbus executives uh, hired Consultant One to make the bribery payments to the Chinese officials. Uh, they made payments to a Hong Kong account which was in Consultant 3's name and Consultant Three in turn paid Consultant One who then paid the bribes. Um, and, and the bribes were paid to two Chinese officials to basically secured two significant aircraft contract orders. Uh, consultant one and Airbus executives communicated regularly, as I mentioned, through emails. Uh, and he, uh, consultant one referenced bribery payments in progress in negotiations for aircraft orders. And consultant two also reported to Airbus executives concerning communications with consultant one. Um, <clears throat> they eventually uh, retained consultant three uh, to the fund, a $14 million payment, like I described, to Consultant 1 for the bribes to Chinese officials. And then they uh, in September 2014, they did another bribery payment through uh, Consultant 3, which was in the amount of 7.7 million euros, uh, which was in turn passed to Consultant 1 for bribery payments. Uh, and eventually, in October 2014, Airbus reached an agreement with the Chinese government to acquire 70 aircraft, an increase in the expected order by an additional uh, 20 aircraft. Airbus also provided uh, just to make things interesting, uh, Chinese officials and occasionally their families to luxury trial events in Park City, Utah and Maui, uh, uh, Hawaii. At these events, Airbus would host a 30 minute marketing or business presentation Provide recreational activities, including scuba diving, golf, snorkeling, cruises, horseback riding, ocean kayaking, surfing lessons, and cocktail and dinner receptions. Uh, Airbus and a Chinese government official uh, agreed to create a separate fund also for events and entertainment. Airbus made monetary contributions to the fund, which was used to pay for numerous events for Chinese government officials, including golf retreats and leisure events in China and travel within China as well to various resorts and the stated purpose of the fund was to provide educational and training programs. So that's the bribery overview. Let's now sort of turn to ITAR Um, and the Justice Department just a, a you know has brought only a few enforcement actions that focus on FCPA and export control violations uh, last year, Quad Graphics earned a declination for FCPA and no OFAC violations. In 2013, Weatherford settled FCPA and export control violations for $252 million. And then in a major case in 2011, BAE Systems paid $400 million for making a false statement arising from underlying conduct of bribery and ITAR violations. So let's add Airbus to the list. Uh, They engaged, obviously, in global bribery and substantial ITAR violations. Uh, When you read the factual proffer, the scope and extent of its illegal conduct is just mind-numbing. The systemic and pervasive violations underscores the absence of any real commitment to compliance and controls. And, you know, it's hard to understand. I always sort of take a look at how a company of Airbus's resources and sophistication could blatantly ignore anti bribery and ITAR requirements. And it's not like ITAR, you know, uh, ignoring ITAR means you're going to engage in bribery and whatnot. It just is a regulatory requirement, and they just didn't really care. Um, in the face of pervasive violations which were uncovered, Airbus voluntarily disclosed uh, the violations in November of 2016. And in July 2017, they submitted a detailed voluntary disclosure. So let's just start with some of the legal background. The Arms Control Export Act authorizes the President to control the export of defense articles and defense services. And then by executive order, the President delegated authority over this area to the State Department's Directorate of Defense Trade Controls, the DDTC. Uh, and they issue licenses for exports and retransfer of defense articles and services. Uh, and the listing uh, of defense articles is contained on the United States Munitions List, USML. The DTTC uh, promulgated the uh, ITAR regulations to implement basically uh, the executive order. Uh, Airbus uh, designed they, and manufactured so, uh, and sold uh, certain products. Uh, containing defense articles and furnished certain defense services. And most of these products and services were out of its uh, defense and space and helicopter uh, divisions. So, the conduct uh, between December 2011 and December 2016, Airbus engaged in illegal conduct falling into three categories one, uh, paying political contributions, commissions, and fees in association with the sale of ITAR controlled defense articles and services and failing to report these payments as required under itar under the itar airbus is required to report whether its vendor paid political contributions of five thousand or more commissions or fees of a hundred thousand or more Uh, failing number two they failed to keep records relating to the sales of itar controlled defense articles and services for five year period as required Uh, Third, they retained a large number of third-party business partners. And here's where third-party risks basically shows you that it can overlap into other areas, Uh, some of whom were uh, from prohibited countries, and others failed to register and secure licenses as required under ITAR. So Airbus was aware of ITAR requirements, and its violations were the result of its use of a large number of third parties deliberate efforts internally to conceal involvement of third parties in various transactions. Uh, They separated the legal and compliance function in silos separate from uh, Airbus's uh, business operations, and Airbus failed to provide compliance training on ITAR uh, requirements. According to DOJ, if Airbus had submitted required reports on the payment of uh, political contributions, commissions, and fees, the DTC would have rejected some of Airbus's export license and increased oversight and monitoring of Airbus's use of third parties, and potentially that could have, uh, uh, you know, stopped some of the bribery schemes as well. Uh, Additionally, if Airbus had sought to secure licenses for the large number of brokers, the DTC would have exercised oversight and, like I said, possibly unraveled the illegal bribery and ITAR violations. DOJ outlined evidence, uh, and this was sort of the more troubling part, that senior compliance uh, officials were well aware of ITAR requirements and recognized the need to establish um, compliance controls to ensure compliance, but no action was ever uh, taken to implement these compliance controls. After the BAE enforcement action in 2011, senior compliance officials raised the need to ensure ITAR compliance and specifically focused on various joint ventures in which Airbus was participating. Shortly thereafter, the DTC even reached out to Airbus to confirm its understanding of application of reporting requirements to Airbus. Nonetheless, Airbus failed to comply. In other words, they they even were reminded by the government, make sure you're complying with all these regulatory requirements. This is the way we understand your business works, and they failed to do so in and this incident is perhaps the most troubling of the entire set of facts uh, that i'm going to recount for you in july 2015 airbus's new general counsel came in and identified itar compliance issues relating to reporting a senior compliance executive resisted efforts to revise airbus's existing compliance procedures claiming that airbus was conducting proper due diligence of its third parties making proper disclosures of political contributions commissions and fees and reviewing each application to ensure accurate representations as to such payments well that compliance uh, management uh, also reviewed these representations that were made to the new general counsel and these were eventually revealed to be false so the compliance department factually uh, misrepresented and lied to the new General Counsel about what their compliance efforts were. Uh, And uh, um, in fact, as explained by DOJ, Airbus's export compliance staff did not have access to information concerning certain third parties, but nonetheless certified compliance with all reporting obligations. Um, And the certifying compliance officers never sought to verify the accuracy of the representations in their license applications. So, and with respect to the use of third parties and getting licenses for brokering activities, Airbus had no controls in place to secure approvals as required by uh, ITAR. So, uh, just as some examples uh, of uh, some specific country problems that developed, I'll just give you a few. Uh, In, In uh, Ghana, for example, Airbus paid political contributions, commissions, and fees totaling 3.5 million euros in connection with the sale of three C-295 aircraft. Uh, In Vietnam, they paid political contributions, commissions, and fees totaling 6.1 million euros in connection with the sale of three C-295 aircraft. These are the types of, uh, and this occurred in almost every country that they were operating in. Well, let me take a moment just to uh, sort of recount, you know, take a more sort of holistic global view as to what happened here. And when I look at a major enforcement case, I always ask two basic questions. What was the role of the board and senior management in the failure and how did they fail to exercise proper oversight and ensure compliance? Two, what was the company's culture and what steps did the board and senior management take to implement and monitor an effective ethical culture? And after reading the Airbus's factual proffer, it's clear that Airbus's culture was clear as can be. Sell and secure money and business at almost any expense. Whether it was paying bribes or relying on extensive third-party representatives to circumvent existing controls, Airbus executives and employees had no problem advancing sales without any attention to compliance. Uh, No one at Airbus uh, emphasized and pushed the importance of ethics and compliance. The board and senior management ultimately have to take responsibility for this fundamental failure. It is their responsibility to define, implement, monitor, and ensure an ethical culture. And it appears that there were no significant efforts to take basic steps to reinforce compliance. At no point was there a meaningful effort to support the compliance function, and indeed the compliance function was somehow complicit, it appears, in sort of uh, not disclosing information and just keeping the business function going. In this environment and with a singular focus on sales, uh, Airbus inevitably was on a path to legal and compliance failures. And the UK whistleblower who reported the violations, uh, it's not surprising that that occurred given the pervasive and systemic culture of uh, non-compliance. But there are others who have to be held accountable here. Uh, Airbus's compliance function, especially related to ITAR compliance, failed to act and obviously misled the new general counsel who raised questions concerning compliance. Instead of welcoming a review, Airbus's senior export control management knowingly misled the general counsel. Airbus's compliance function failed in a basic way. They failed to be honest, and they failed to speak up. Uh, And the Justice Department's factual proffer suggests uh, that the failure was because it was siloed within the organization. I don't buy that characterization. That's not an explanation, uh, because this is where people should have stood up, uh, and compliance people in particular know better, uh, and their indifference is is absolutely intentional. So in the face of these overwhelming problems and indications that business uh, was circumventing compliance controls, the compliance function and legal failed to speak up. They failed to demand accountability and start to investigate and audit overall compliance. Had they done so, Airbus's problems may not have spiraled out of control. Who knows? They would have been fired or they would have been, uh, you know, there would have been retaliation or they would have uh, dug into the issues. Uh, Even after the DTC um, contacted Airbus to inquire and ensure Airbus's compliance with ITAR reporting requirements, there's no indication that compliance or legal took this inquiry and leveraged it to senior management to demand that action needs to be taken. Furthermore, given Airbus's obvious high-risk profile selling its products and services to foreign governments and military organizations, Airbus uh, compliance and legal personnel ignored that overwhelming risk by use of approximately a thousand third parties. And considering all these factors, compliance and legal fell silent in a culture basically that was dedicated to sell at any and all costs. There were so many signs and crossroads here that Airbus faced and failed to act or address significant problems. Everyone here bears some responsibility, from the board to senior management, the business incentives and sales staff, and ultimately legal and compliance. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the marketplace at ethical companies and employees believe in the company they feel best and more productive as a result misconduct rates are much lower and financial we can help you achieve these benefits through effective ethics and compliance programs you can learn more about our commitment to
1: effective ethics and compliance programs at www.folkofflaw.com so away
0: Just can't see. Smell
1: happy. We're so far away.